Welcome to the Alive and Well podcast, where we interview leaders in the health and wellness industries who have amazing insight on how to improve your health and navigate your personal path to wellness. This episode is sponsored by NHC, an online vitamin and supplement store that sells a wide variety of quality, professional, and retail brands. I'm your host, Brittany Adams, and today I had the honor of speaking with Nicole Jardim. Nicole is a certified women's health coach and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines simplicity and sass. Her incredible work has impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of women across the world and effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful periods, amenorrhea, and many more. Nicole is also the co-host of the Period Party Podcast. Hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I, I think you have such a great and holistic approach to women's health and to managing your menstrual cycle, and I'm just so excited to dig in and talk about all types of things involving women's health. Absolutely. Well, I'm very happy to, to talk all about it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so how did you get started uh, in women's health? Oh, it goes way back. It was a, you know, it started a long time ago. I was a teenager who was plagued by period problems. Mm -hmm. And I imagine lots of younger girls can definitely relate to that. Oh yeah. (laughs) And it was, you know, right. Exactly. It's Mm -hmm. almost like a rite of passage these days. It's so sad, but my, you know, my mom just kind of thought everything that I was experiencing was normal because she'd had those period problems too, actually probably even worse than me. So I think that that tends to happen a lot for a lot of young girls and women too. Um, but basically I had uh, really heavy, painful periods, like the kind of periods that make you want to throw up and mm-hmm. <laughs> the kinds of periods that make you not want to go to school for fear of leaking through your clothing. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager, you know that that's like a crisis and right. you may as well just like never go back to school again yeah. <laughs> if that happens. Yeah. But that was like a, a real problem for me. And, and as a result, I, you know, I just, I was missing days of school every month and it was really, it felt really traumatic at the time. And in addition to that, eventually what started to happen was my period would just come like every two or three months, it just started to not show up. And I didn't know what was going on. And neither did my mom. And so finally, I went to a gynecologist. And she actually, uh, in within a five minute span, pulled out her prescription pad and wrote me a prescription for the pill. And uh, of course, I was psyched because all the cool kids were on the pill. Mm -hmm. And I was finally going to be on the pill. And that was exciting. So Mm -hmm. I went on the pill, I was about 18, 19, somewhere around there. And Um, I remember uh, feeling like it was my magic bullet. I finally had found something that got rid of my period pain. My periods came regularly. My period was no longer heavy. I never had these, I didn't have any more of these crazy mood swings. So a lot shifted for me when I got on the pill and I literally thought I had, had found, like I said, my, my period savior. And then fast forward a few years and my body started to kind of break down because of side effects of the pill or because as well as a side effect of being on the pill for a long period of time. So for me, my body just wasn't meant to be on a birth control pill for any length of time, really not at all. 
But what happened was my hair started falling out and then my period dropped from like four days to one day. And then I started to develop melasma all over my face and really horrific joint pain and gut health issues and chronic UTIs and yeast infections and like all of these problems that were quote unquote seemingly unrelated, but uh, and well, they weren't, but I didn't know that. And neither did any of the like 12 doctors I went to see for all of these symptoms. And fast forward a couple of years, I finally saw an acupuncturist and he was the first person to say to me, you know, it could be your birth control pill. And I'll never forget. I, I was like, wait, what? And because mm -hmm. nobody had ever even suggested that to me. So it was completely foreign to me at the time. And as a result, I went off of the pill. I started changing my diet. I started exercising. I like dealt with my stress because I was in college at the time and really started to do a 180 on my health. And things really changed quite dramatically. And I just had had no idea that the pill could have been causing all of these problems and my, you know, my lack of eating very well and my insane stress and, you know, my lack of exercise and all of these things. So fast forward a few more years and I actually worked in film production because that was like my dream job. It was what I studied in school and really what I wanted to do, but it actually was having such a profound impact on my health that I decided I really needed to move out of that and, and decided to go to a health coaching school. I did a health coaching certification and then I went on to do further training in women's hormonal health and just women's health in general uh, so that I could really hone in and focus on uh, women's hormones because I just thought, well, if it can, if this happened to me, I'm sure this is happening to a lot of other people. And further, if I could just help one woman, then maybe I'd done, I'd done a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am many thousands of women later and many years later, uh, working in this, this women's health world. Right. Yeah. Well, and as a woman, I just thank you for doing that. Cause it's, it's so profound the work that you've done and, and that you continue to do. It's awesome. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And so, uh, you had kind of mentioned, um, that your mom had similar issues. Um, but I, I think, just, I mean, I'm not an old person by any means. I'm 29. Um, but I, I feel like just more and more I'm hearing about women who are having hormonal issues and not older women, just, I mean, even younger women. Why do you think um, it just seems like hormonal issues are on the rise for women? Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, there's so many reasons. I, I have talked about this quite extensively because I feel that women right now, well, the human race, generally speaking, but mm -hmm. women in particular, because obviously for the purpose of this conversation, are in, in a, in a, we're in a, an unprecedented time where uh, the, the chronic psychological and physical stress burdens are so high. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I feel like they've, they're higher now than they've ever been in our history, which is pretty crazy when you think right. about it. Yeah, and we are now at the point where we're, we're almost at a breaking point is what it feels like to me when I see the sheer volume of women who are being diagnosed with autoimmune diseases, for mm -hmm. instance. I mean, like, and not women in their 40s and 50s. Right. And these are women in their late teens, their 20s, their 30s. I can't tell you how many women have come to me who are 19 and they've been put on thyroid medication because they've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is pretty significant thyroid, uh, you know, autoimmune thyroid disease and that should not ever be taken lightly. And I'm just seeing this more and more. Uh, and I just feel like 
the the burden of this chronic stress or chronic overstimulation, as I like to call it, because that's really what it is, uh, has become too much for us to bear. And for women, as much as I dislike saying this, we are more physiologically sensitive to uh, these kinds of external stressors and internal ones as well uh, because of our, our, ma- our hormonal makeup. And as a result, I just really think that we are now, like I said, in a crisis situation where not only are older women having really severe problems with perimenopause and menopause, but younger women are facing just as many issues that in some cases, like for instance, if you've been on a birth control pill for a long period of time, uh, your hormones, your sex hormones, particularly estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are actually a lot lower And as a result, uh, you end up in this sort of state of like menopause in your 20s, so -hmm. to speak, because you've not been ovulating for so long. And that's, you know, I see that so often. And and we're so we're not only under an extreme amount of stress, but we're also uh, taking medications, more medications. We're taking a birth control pill or some other form of hormonal birth control, like a, a pill, like the patch or the IUD or the implant or the depot shot, like an injection. Uh, for long periods of time, much longer than I think women 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago were doing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's a combination of that, the external stress, the internal stressors, which are, you know, too much sugar in our diets, too much of that sad American diet. Uh, And then, you know, gut health issues. And then uh, the the medications in particular hormonal birth control so it's like a mm-hmm. triad right yeah and I, I wonder what effect that has on the you know the children of the next generation that we're creating <laughs> that's yeah scary to think about <laughs> I know I think about this a lot I can't help myself yeah. I go down these rabbit holes and right. I you know and I obviously am only speculating but it's definitely not a good effect yeah. <laughs> and in fact yeah. there is some evidence around uh, women who have been on certain types of hormonal birth control, the pill really in particular, uh, and that like if you come off and you get pregnant right away, there there is, I mean, it's not like definitive, but there is some evidence and some things I've seen anecdotally too where, uh, you know, these women tend to have miscarriages. And again, this is just what I've seen, but there is also the chance for premature labor and you know other issues so it's really yeah i i it scares me because i I, those of course all impact uh, a child if you're born premature that can have long-term impact so yes there's definitely evidence there but it's not like i said definitive right yeah that makes total sense Mm -hmm. so you talked about stress a little bit and i wondered if you could just kind of expound on that and just paint a picture of how a a woman's body actually responds to stress and how our hormones are affected by it. Yes. I, you know, I really like to refer to a woman, a woman's menstrual cycle or her reproductive function as something akin to the canary in the coal mine. And for those who don't know that analogy metaphor, there basically just means that a long time ago, miners would take canaries down into coal mines and and just leave them down, stick them down there while they were working. Uh, and if the canary died, they it was a sign to them to leave the, the tunnels immediately because there was potential dangerous gases being leaked. 
makes sense. And so I feel like our reproductive systems are those little canaries because we're very sensitive to uh, inflammation and external stressors and all of these potential pitfalls. So I, you know, I talk about this in the context of stress because what I see is uh, women basically we're like spinning plates. I mean, we've got a million different things going on. Life is busier than it ever has been literally ever. (laughs) It just feels very full, full on. And what happens is we've got, you know, all of these external stressors. So we're just bombarded all day long. And this hijacks the hypothalamic pituitary conversation with the rest of the endocrine glands in the body. So if we think about our hypothalamus and our pituitary in our brains, and then we think about the fact that they're like a they're like a messenger system and they're just sending hormones to the different endocrine glands, and those are like your thyroid, your adrenals, your ovaries. There are a couple others, but those are the ones that I want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so the idea here is that this chronic psychological stress is hijacking how our brains actually function. Hmm. So you can imagine that if you know, you've got something that's like interrupting you all day long, (laughs) it's the same thing with your brain. Like your brain is just being interrupted by these, these crazy signals, these external signals, and it just can't do the job that it's supposed to do. And as a result, it's sending, it's like misfiring or sending mixed messages to your ovaries and to your adrenals potentially, and even your thyroid. And so for your ovaries, and this is where the reproductive system comes in, what happens with your ovaries is that your 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 hypothalamus talks to your pituitary, your pituitary then talks to your ovaries through FSH and LH, the two hormones that build up that, that follicle that will release an egg uh, roughly around the middle of your cycle. And so what ends up happening is, uh, our bodies sort of go into this sort of protectionist mechanism and they're like, oh, well, you can't ovulate right now because there's we're sensing a lot of danger. It's almost like it's scanning for danger. And because that's really what, when you think about the fact that 100,000 years ago, that's what women did. We looked after small children. We looked after the elderly. We gathered food. And our bodies were, our brains were really designed to constantly be scanning for danger or, you know, potential dangerous situations. And we really haven't changed. I think that that's the problem is that we have every single thing in our lives has changed in the last 50 years to the point where uh, it's unrecognizable really what life was like even 30 years ago. And as a result, we just kind of think, oh, our brains and our bodies are just going to keep up. But our brains and our bodies have not evolved in the way that uh, we have or our environments have. And as a result, we end up in a situation like now where we have so many women under this, you know, in this chronic state of alarm bells going off, so to speak. And we're, they're just not, um, they're not ovulating consistently because their brains are just not communicating with their ovaries. Uh, well, they are communicating with their ovaries. They're just not doing what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is women think, oh, well, I'm broken. Like my body is not doing what it, I want it to do. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Or my, like my body is just broken or, and I need to fix it. Like I hear a lot of that message and I'm constantly trying to reinforce to women that your body is actually doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's doing what it has always done. It's just like not doing it. It will, yeah, it's doing what it's always done. And you're just, you just don't know that that's actually the case. 
And because it, you know, we're, we're not ovulating consistently, for instance, or at all, uh, you know, we can't get pregnant when we want to, or we have trouble getting pregnant, or we're not able to get pregnant at all, and maybe we need to do uh, something like IVF or IUI. And so that's what I see more than anything, is that mm-hmm. we have to correct that underlying problem right. before we go on to the next step of something like IVF or or more invasive procedure. Yeah, I think it's really, really great that you address the underlining issue. I think a lot of um, fertility clinics and and people, you know, specialists are just focused on, you know, getting you pregnant, but but not dealing with the root cause of why you can't get pregnant or why you don't have a regular period. So I think that's, that's really awesome. And where do you typically start with women that are, you know, either having really irregular periods or not ovulating at all or just, you know, having any any of those common period issues? I know, right? There's so many. There's, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to name them all. <laughs> I know, right? It's okay. Yeah. I, I think what we also need to keep in mind as women is that are because our bodies are genetically different and our lifestyles and our diets are different to the next woman i uh, we we tend to think that something that we're experiencing or like a condition that we're experiencing is super unique and in some cases it definitely is but what i have found is that because our genetics and our bodies are different uh these same underlying hormonal imbalances can present in in different ways. Mm. So it looks like there's, you know, a different cause for all of these different issues happening. But in fact, what I have found is that there are a few things that underlie uh, a a whole host of symptoms. And and that's just really dependent on the woman. And like I said, her, her situation, whether it's like her lifestyle, sleep, food, um, and, you know, like exercise, stress levels, all those things. And so for Um, For basically every woman, I start with their diet because that to me is one of the more important things and it's something that we have a lot of control over. Whereas our stress, sometimes we just don't and because it could be you could be taking care of a sick family member or uh, your husband could have lost his job. You know, there's like lots of different things that underlie that. But I find that women are, you know, they're when they understand how something is impacting them, I find that they're, they're much more, they feel more inclined to, to make the changes. And so I really start with explanations about what the heck is actually going on in there. <laughs> and, and then we work on, on small changes, like bringing good food into your diet versus taking a whole bunch of things away. Cause I know that a lot of women are like, saying to me, oh, just, you're going to pry that coffee out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I try to not do that right away. <laughs> and so we make small changes there, but I also really think that it's so important for us to start with tracking cycles and really understanding what's happening in your menstrual cycle on a monthly basis. Nobody ever teaches this information. And I've had women in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s say things along the lines of, no one has ever explained ovulation to me. Or the fact that I can only get pregnant really for two days out of my entire cycle. Like, who would have ever thought this? I had no idea. And so that's that's such a huge revelation for them. So that's really, obviously, there's a diet component. There is a stress component. Like, we work on sleep in particular because a lot of women don't even realize that sleep uh, is 
connected to melatonin and cortisol, which are two really important hormones in our sex hormone uh, landscape. And so we work on those, but really it's the, it's the period tracking. So I get them to get an app and input their the first day of their period and the remaining days of their period, how light or how heavy the period is, what it looks like. Uh, you know, all of these different kinds of, to me, parameters so that I can then help them understand like what underlying hormonal imbalances could be causing the particular symptoms that they're experiencing. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. you mentioned some um, diet and lifestyle changes that you kind of progressively <laughs> influence with your, um, with your patients. What, what are some of those? Oh, the, I mean, there's so many. I think that you know, one of the, for instance, like one of the things that I always find so interesting when working with women who have PMS or PMDD, PMDD for anyone who doesn't know is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And while I am not a big fan of pathologizing, like I really think that you know, there's underlying hormonal imbalances and we can address those and then you don't have PMS anymore or mm -hmm. you don't have PMDD anymore. Uh, but for for instance, like someone who is dealing with like severe mood swings or bouts of fatigue, brain fog, uh, you know, cravings, things of that nature, which typically I feel like most women experience these at some point in their cycle. Uh, this so much of this comes back to blood sugar and we don't even realize that and we don't even realize that potentially our blood sugar is spiking and crashing every single day so i i have women test their blood sugar with a, a glucose meter like a glucometer uh to see like where they actually prick their finger and see what's happening with their blood sugar on a meal by meal basis so that they can make adjustments around that because what we don't realize is that in the first half of our cycle, estrogen enhances the efficiency of insulin, and which is great because estrogen is higher in that first half of the cycle and it will actually help to keep blood sugar and insulin stable. But on the other hand, in the second half of your cycle, progesterone can potentially impair insulin sensitivity. And so as a result, we're much more prone to these high blood sugar spikes and crashes. It's like a, the roller coaster and then we're, you know, basically shoveling the cake and cookies into our mouths or mm -hmm, yeah. reaching for chocolate over and over again. And like your husband never knows whether happy you or angry you is going to walk in the door, you know? So it's just like just the most basic thing of, of balancing blood sugar. And, and the way we do that is like really focusing on bringing more protein and fat and less of those refined carbs into each meal and lots and lots of leafy green vegetables to help even it all out. Uh, so that's like one of the things that we do a lot of. Mm -hmm. Are there any supplements that you suggest for people or is it, is it pretty much individualized? I mean, it's pretty individualized, but I have found that uh, vitamin D deficiency is, it plays such a big role in hormonal imbalances, especially uh, where there's blood sugar imbalance or insulin resistance that are potentially contributing to PMS and other things and uh, and as well as, as polycystic ovarian syndrome too. So I find that getting your vitamin D tested, knowing your vitamin D status, and then supplementing if you're deficient has been such a game changer for lots and lots of women. Magnesium is another one of those supplements that is kind of one of those game changers too, where you know it, it, it's sort of multifaceted. It can help address symptoms of PMS and as well as blood sugar imbalances. So 
So there's the PM, the PCOS component as well. And um, it's also really helpful for period pain. I've had a lot of clients mm-hmm. uh, completely get rid of period pain just by taking magnesium consistently. So mm-hmm. vitamin D, magnesium, and uh, the other one, oh, is a B complex. So making mm-hmm. sure that you're getting a B complex in just because the B vitamins, obviously they work synergistically, but I have found them to be especially supportive of our menstrual cycle. Mm. Uh, B6 has been, there's, there's been some studies on B6 and uh, PMS as, and and that combination with magnesium helps actually quite tremendously. Mm. Um, And then also too, the Bs really do support uh, ovarian function. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so those are a few easy ones. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, So just to address some, I think, common problems and common questions that women have about their periods, um, why do some women have cramps and and PMS symptoms? And and what are, I mean, you kind of mentioned some natural ways to deal with it, but anything else that you can kind of suggest for women? Oh, yeah, so many good, so many good things. (laughs) So there are, you know, there's some women who have, uh, cramps that are far worse than other women and those could be caused by a number of different reasons so it's a little bit hard to say like what exactly each person can do but I do find that you know there are a couple of different reasons so there could be pathology involved where there's endometriosis or there's fibroids or adenomyosis and those conditions can predicate uh, cramps or extreme pain even Mm -hmm. especially in the case of endometriosis and then uh, there are women who just have cramps because there is an inflammation response happening in their body, uh, and that's likely linked to you know, blood sugar issues or too many refined carbs or uh, whatever, like something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so what I find more than anything is – or by the way, there's also a structural component as well. So sometimes uteruses are retroverted, retroflexed, meaning that like they're tilting backwards, so to speak. Hmm. And uh, that can, and there's, you know, pelvic floor issues as well too. So like our pelvic floor uh, can 100% influence how our periods play out. And as a result, we have to kind of get to the bottom of what could be causing it. Uh, I do have people start under the assumption that there is nothing wrong and that there's, you know, that they just have cramps because, uh, you know, there's like, it's sort of due to inflammation. And Mm -hmm. so we start with just working on the dietary component. Uh, We work on really addressing hydration as well. So many of us are just perpetually dehydrated and we actually need to have an adequate water. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like hard for people to believe it, but it's true. <laughs> and then we we really work on uh, a lot of the times uh, detoxification. So for your liver, like you really want to support your liver with liver supportive foods like beets and avocados and leafy, the dark leafy greens and even dark uh, or leafy green juices, those kinds of things or mm-hmm. vegetable juices where we're supporting our liver's ability to detox. So there's like phase one and phase two of liver detox. And those are both involved in uh, processing and excreting harmful metabolites, hormone metabolites that could potentially recirculate and cause something like estrogen dominance. And then that further feeds uh, the pain or it feeds like the endometriosis if that's the case or heavy periods or something like that. So it really comes back to like a multifaceted, multi-system approach where Mm -hmm. I'm looking at starting from the top down 
we're talking about chewing your food and really eating in a mindful way and viewing eating as a mindful practice and then working on stomach acid to make sure that your stomach acid is adequate for breaking down uh, protein and uh, absorbing iron and B12. And then we're looking at the actual gut function where we're trying to like make sure that the microbiome is is not compromised and mm-hmm. the and the gut lining is not compromised either. And then of course there's the liver function too. So we're addressing phase one and phase two to make sure that your liver is actually detoxing harmful metabolites and other toxins as well so that that doesn't further the inflammatory response. So it's like obviously it's a, a whole multifaceted approach, like I said, top down, right. uh, all the way from our mouth to our liver function and our bowel movements. Yeah. And I'm sure, again, it's really individualized for each person. Yes, it tends to be. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously some things that we can all do, but mm-hmm. for the most part, yes, it, it tends to be individualized. Right. That makes sense. Um, and just to talk a little bit about the um, the regularity of um, the menstrual cycle, it, I know that the you know most common, or maybe I shouldn't say common, but the, the most quote-unquote regular cycle is the 28-day cycle. Um, can you talk about that and just how, how and why it's important for um, cycles to be regular? Yes, for sure. Well, I should say that nobody has a 28-day cycle consistently. I mean, some people do, obviously, but not everybody. And I would venture to say most women don't. Mm-hmm. But basically... Uh, you know, my definition of what I consider to be a quote unquote regular cycle is like a 25 to 35 day window where there's not a lot of uh, fluctuation between days. So if you're 25 days, one month, and then 35 another month, and then back to 26 the next month, that to me is a sign that ovulation is a little all over the place. So I, I recommend that, you know, you're, you're really within that window, but you're like within a two day window for each period. So 28 days, 30 days, back to 28 days, 29 days, that kind of thing. And so what I found though, is that, or really what is a fact is that your period is going to come based on when you're ovulating. Mm -hmm. So if you ovulate on day 15, for instance, you're going to have a period anywhere from about 10 to 16 days after. And that's because the follicle that your uh, your egg came from, it's on your ovary, and it's actually a little tiny endocrine gland, and it actually produces progesterone after the egg is released. And that's what raises your basal body temperature, it raises your temperature enough to support an embryo that would be growing in your uterus if that was what was to happen. And as a result, um, what that progesterone is actually what's going to determine the length of the second half of your cycle or the day that you get your period. Hmm. So progesterone is being produced sufficiently by that little corpus luteum is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's going to keep your uterine lining in place for a good amount of time. You really want that second half of your cycle to be about 10 days long, hmm. uh, at least as a minimum, because it takes about 10 to 14 days for uh, that little fertilized embryo to make its way down the fallopian tube and burrow into the uterine lining. So that's why, I mean, that's obviously not the only reason why mm-hmm. <laughs> baby making is one of them for sure. But I think what we have to do is move away from this idea that uh, that's all our reproductive organs are for, because that's obviously not the case. Like we actually mm-hmm. really need our hormones to function optimally. And so if our 
cycle. So for instance, if we're ovulating on like day 25 and then we don't get our period until day 40, what's happening is that that means that your ovulation is coming late and it's coming late because something is preventing it from happening. So that what a lot of women don't realize is that your body actually attempts to ovulate which is why like a lot of women will use those test strips or the sticks and like the OPKs or ovulation predictor kits and they'll they'll get a happy face but all that means is that LH that hormone that's coming from your brain mm-hmm. is high or elevated which signifies that ovulation might occur but it doesn't actually tell you ovulation has occurred mm. and so we're in a situation where we're like oh I thought I ovulated, but you may not have, your body may have attempted to ovulate Mm. and then like a stressful situation happened and it was like, Oh hell no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to try next week. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think we don't realize is that there, you know, it could literally, I, there's a great story in taking charge of your fertility. It's a book that I read years ago on the fertility awareness method, which is, you know, a, a form of, of natural birth control Mm -hmm. and she talked about uh this woman who had um uh she'd experienced she'd been in la and she went through like a crazy earthquake and she didn't ovulate and she was talking about the fact that she she didn't know why her period didn't come and so uh the author took her back through the last three weeks and she was like oh yeah so there was this huge earthquake and she was like yeah that could have definitely done it yeah so it's amazing how we underestimate (laughs) yeah i know right i say it's pretty stressful i agree but i i joke that like a weekend with your in-laws and i I love my in-laws to death so i shouldn't really say that anymore (laughs) but for some people they don't yeah and you know a weekend away like with people who are stressing you out could even cause you to not ovulate so we really have to sort of gauge our own stress threshold and figure Mm -hmm. out like what you know what might tip us over the edge so to speak yeah no that makes so much sense yeah. answered your question <laughs> yeah it did and I I never knew that about the the LH that makes perfect sense why some women would say you know like oh I thought I ovulated and then I didn't which you know that makes total sense <laughs> yeah right yeah. I know it's it's amazing how again we're, we're never really taught this stuff yeah yeah and I know I've heard from um some people that uh your menstrual cycle is actually supposed to kind of go along with the moon cycle and I wondered Mm -hmm. um what your thoughts were on that oh yes I have lots of thoughts on it and (laughs) you know it's so funny I have a really good friend her name is Jen Rassiopi and she's an astrologer and Mm. she's so incredible she she's sort of blends women's health and astrology and moon cycles and Mm. uh you know we talk about this a lot because I we've you know the moon is kind of having a moment right now everybody's into the moon cycles which is awesome it just kind of reminds me of periods a lot of people are into periods right now too Mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about the fact that we've gotten to the point where women are kind of stressed if their menstrual cycle isn't aligned perfectly with the moon cycle and and really what that means is you basically bleed on the on the new moon and then you ovulate on the full moon and then the cycle repeats itself and then you bleed again on the on the new moon Mm -hmm. and i you know i'm currently ovulating with the full moon or sorry ovulating with the new moon and getting my period on the full moon so Mm -hmm. i'm opposite and there's just there's a lot of uh there's a lot of information out there on like what is normal what isn't and i like to view i think maybe this is a more um like fantastical look at how this all goes but I like it (laughs) Uh, but I really like to view the the moon cycles and the you know the tides and the just the cycles in nature in general uh, as 
you know, sort of like the bigger version of what's happening on the inside of us. Mm -hmm. And so our, our yeah. menstrual cycle is just sort of a mini cycle within many cycles. Yeah. And that's, to me, it's really our connection to nature and to mother earth. And so I think that a lot of that really resonates for a lot of women. And because again, we live in this unprecedented time of a chronic overstimulation and mm -hmm. chronically not being in nature. <laughs> right. Nature deficiency is a huge problem. It's also something I work on work with on women women's with women's health because it's just a huge problem but mm -hmm. I find that um when we're when we want to reconnect to nature and the natural rhythms in life uh that's one of the first things I have women start to look at so I I, I like the idea of of us being able to cycle with either the full moon or the new moon I you know ultimately don't think it has any like health bearing per se but it does there is a psychological component for sure like i have found now that i've done both because i did at one point a year and a half ago cycle with the the new moon where i was getting my period on the new moon ovulating on the full mm -hmm. and it, that's traditionally what happened with women like they got their period on the new moon when it was dark outside because obviously light has a huge impact on our bodies and mm -hmm. so we don't even realize that outside light and internal light have such an impact on our menstrual cycles as well. In fact, uh, there's quite a bit of evidence that melatonin has such a huge impact on our, our menstrual cycles, on their regularity and yeah, like how, how regular they are. Yeah. So um, anyway, basically women traditionally cycled, they got their period on, their, on the new moon and then during ovulation, during that full moon time, uh, they were, yeah, they were ovulating on that full moon time and that mm -hmm. was traditionally when a lot of babies were conceived and yeah again the that was sky the was when... lit making right. <laughs> more yeah, light know, right? <laughs> yeah exactly crazy. like yeah. we're having more fun uh, under the moonlight mm -hmm. and so that I think there's something to be said for that I mean there's definitely evidence of lots of babies being born on the full moon and you know so it's just mm -hmm. all kinds of things so yeah. it definitely has an impact like the moon you know there is some evidence and Dr. Christiane Northrop talks about this in her book Women's Bodies Women's Wisdom where she refers to evidence that the moon the moon cycle the moon phases have an impact on our bodies itself and just because the same as it has an impact on the tides and what's cool is that the moon cycle is basically 29 days long and you know that's very close to a woman's menstrual cycle mm -hmm. my partner Hayden always asks like well what about all the other animals on planet earth is the moon just for humans <laughs> and I'm like mm, maybe yeah, <laughs> but you know so like who knows but it is something that I think is really nice to be able to sync with and yeah. Again, if you're not, it does not mean anything. It does not mean that you're less than in any way or right. that there's going to be potential health problems. But I, I think it's it's really a nice thing to be synced up. And I found too that for me, like after uh, cycling with the, the, where I was getting my period with the new moon, I was extremely tired, like much more so than normal during that time. And like my energy was low, my emotions were pretty low. Mm -hmm. But then with this full moon, I find that I have like this huge burst of energy and creativity the, in the few days leading up to my period. So mm. there's there's definitely nuances, and yeah. I've noticed it for myself, and I've had conversations with a ton of other women about this, and and they definitely have noticed uh, a lot of those kinds of nuances as well. So mm. it's it's very cool. Like I yeah. I think there's definitely something to it, yeah. but I, I certainly don't have a lot of science. Right. Well, and it makes sense too that we are obviously made of water <laughs> by yeah you know. by a lot and and the 
you know, the tide is affected by the moon. So it would make sense that we would be too. <laughs> of course. Sure. I think so as well. Yeah. Um, so what if someone's not getting their period or not um, ovulating, as you kind of mentioned? Are there any tips that you could give someone uh, in just getting their period back? Yes. I, you know, I think that, again, just like I was saying before about, you know, specific causes for Mm -hmm. something like for painful periods, for instance, you've got to look at, you know, what the cause is. And before I get into that, I do, I always recommend that women who have not had a period definitely see their doctor, get testing done just to find out like what that is, Mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. Um, because you know, there are potentially a lot of different causes that I don't feel like I can cover all of them on Mm -hmm. here, but in one of the main, here are a few of the main ones that I see. So PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so this is essentially where your ovaries stop working as they should. And a lot of the time it's driven by insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome where uh, we, you know, we, our insulin is just not working in our bodies properly anymore because of blood sugar swings. And so PCOS uh, is a problem where our ovaries Uh, or the insulin is basically causing our ovaries, it's almost like flipping a switch, and our ovaries are not producing as much estrogen anymore. In fact, they're producing more testosterone, and Mm -hmm. so it's creating these these issues with where we have hair growth in our face, for instance, or we have hair loss in our head, uh, acne, or very oily skin, and one of the main things is that our ovaries are now producing more testosterone and not ovulating consistently. So a lot of the time, women will have a period that just like comes very sporadically, like mm-hmm. once or twice a year in some cases. So that's, you know, that's, I think, important to be tested for. Uh, one of the other scenarios is high prolactin levels. And prolactin is the hormone that produces breast milk, and it's meant to be almost like a natural form of birth control after you have a baby because it's high producing breast milk, Mm -hmm. but it can be high in women who have not had a baby, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So there's there's that as well. It it could potentially be caused by a pituitary tumor, um, but also uh, by higher levels of estrogen and or low levels of thyroid hormone. So there's, there's definitely a connection. Again, I always talk about the hormone superhighway because everybody's driving around talking to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, the final thing is uh, low ovarian reserve or premature ovarian failure. So premature ovarian failure, I feel, is on the rise. And basically what it means is your ovaries stop functioning the way they should before sort of the age of 40, meaning that you're just not producing eggs as you should and you know ovulation is ultimately faltering or just not happening at all mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the time um, that is that is I find is caused by a multitude of factors so it's not just like one thing that may cause that mm-hmm. so anyways those are potentially the causes for an ovulation I mean there are other causes as well uh, things like um, under eating, just not getting enough nutrients, not having enough calories, not having enough body fat, overtraining or overexercising is another common cause. 
uh, that I see. And then, of course, long-term hormonal birth control use where you've been on the pills for so long that your body just, like, when you get off, uh, it's not able to kind of catch itself and start to, you know, do the whole process of the brain ovary connection and, and start getting that communication going again. Mm-hmm. So those are, like, all of the reasons. Mm-hmm. I know that was, like, a mouthful. No, but I think a lot it's of so reasons. Important. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I just think it's so important for us to just, first of all, know that there are quite a few different reasons but to also know that it's not okay for us to not have a period like Mm -hmm. I fundamentally I try to instill this into everyone like you have to get be getting a period consistently I don't care what any of anybody says Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the reason I say that obviously like when you're pregnant yes there's there's a reason you're not getting a period and after you give birth but really and truly we should be and the reason I say that is because when we're ovulating, like this is an actual process that we need to have happen. Like we need estrogen for our brain health and our heart health and our moods and our, you know, vaginal health, literally. I mean, our mm-hmm. vaginas are very hormone dependent and they they need estrogen and testosterone to stay lubricated and for the tissue to not atrophy. So we, we really need these hormones and the way that we make these hormones is through that process of ovulation. So I think that those are the reasons that is definitely why you should should be working on getting ovulation working again mm-hmm. and really like i said the main culprits i see are the overtraining or overexercising the undereating and uh, birth control pill use which we all have a significant amount of control over right. so i've seen a lot of women get their periods back uh, by stopping exercising completely and just mm-hmm. walking and yoga and that is almost it's a lot of the time the final piece in the puzzle so that's one thing and then of course adding in more fat into your diet as well like fat and protein are the precursors obviously for cholesterol which is the precursor for all of our steroid sex hormones so really uh you know those two factors alone i have found uh, to be really really beneficial for women who don't have a period and then of course there's the other things like pcos where you want to make sure your blood sugar is stable you might need supplements to stabilize your blood sugar high prolactin that's a little bit of a different story it it probably requires a more nuanced approach and then premature ovarian failure like i always refer out to a reproductive endocrinologist Mm -hmm. for testing and to figure out like what you know what solutions there are right yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for all that. I, that was a of lot course. to ask. <laughs> I know. <laughs> for you to give me all that information. I um, feel like I do that. I tend to no. just like give it all. No, that's awesome. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for being here and for just, I mean, enlighten, enlightening us with all this awesome information. And uh, where could listeners find you if they were looking to get connected? Of course. So my website is NicoleJardim.com, and that's J-A-R-D-I-M, like Mary. And you can find my blog on there. I write a blog post almost every week at this point, and uh, there's just a ton of great information. I also love to play on Instagram, and I'm Nicole M, like Mary Jardim, uh, and also on Facebook, too. So I share a lot of articles. I share a lot of the latest science. Uh, You'll find all of that on my Instagram and Facebook accounts. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks, Brittany, so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Before we wrap up, I want to thank our sponsor again, NHC, an online vitamin and supplement store that sells a wide variety of quality professional and retail brands. For the latest deals and discounts, visit NHC.com. Thank you again, Nicole, for joining me today. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. 
To listen to more episodes, go to aliveandwellpodcast.com or check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. You've been listening to the Alive and Well Podcast. We'll see you next time.